Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Joshua chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Joshua chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. The title of the message is Lessons from Defeat. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of the best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city, and when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say, They are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. So Joshua sent them off. In the 1932 World Series, the Chicago Cubs were playing the New York Yankees. It was the third game of that World Series. It was the fifth inning, and the score was tied 4-4. to There was a big barrel-shaped man who came up, batted left-handed, came up for the Yankees to bat. Charlie Root was pitching for the Chicago Cubs, and this barrel-shaped man with basically two picked legs stepped into the left-handed batter's box. Charlie Root wound up, and he threw the first pitch. It was a strike. He wound up again, threw the second pitch, and it was a strike, and this barrel-headed left-hander for the Yankees stepped out of the batter's box, and he appeared to raise his hand toward the center field wall and point to the fans who were just on the other side of that center field wall. It is debatable as to what he really meant by that point, but most folks like to believe that he was pointing to that center field wall to predict that he would launch the next pitch over that same wall. He stepped back into the batter's box. Charlie Root wound up. And he pitched his third pitch, and the barrel-figured man connected on that third pitch, and sure enough, it landed over the center field wall where he, to where he had just pointed. That man's name was Babe Ruth. His real name was George Herman Ruth. He was born in February 1895 in Maryland. His father, who was a saloon keeper, felt that he couldn't afford to keep George, Ruth, and so he sent him to an orphanage when he was seven years old. 
It was there at the orphanage that George Ruth learned how to play baseball. He ended up playing first for the Red Sox before the Red Sox basically gave him away to the New York Yankees. But Babe Ruth ended up playing 22 straight seasons. His lifetime batting average was 342, which is an incredible batting average. He hit 714 home runs, not counting 15 home runs that he hit during the World Series play. He hit 60 home runs in 1927, which was a record for a 154-game season, a shortened season. On one occasion, Babe Ruth heard that there was a young boy in a Baltimore hospital who was a fan of Babe's, and the Babe, earlier in the day, they were to play that night, earlier in the day, he visited the hospital, went into the boy's hospital room, and the little boy made a request. Mr. Babe, would you hit a home run for me in tonight's game? And Babe Ruth promised that kid that he would hit a home run, and that night in the ball game, Babe Ruth hit that boy a home run. Babe Ruth was six feet two inches tall. He weighed 215 pounds. One day, he ate two sandwiches, 12 hot dogs, six sodas, and one apple right before playing an evening game. In the fifth inning, he passed out and had to be carried off on a stretcher. As he was being hauled off, the EMTs overheard him mutter, it must have been the apple. By any measure regarding baseball, you would think that Babe Ruth was a huge success. But by some other statistics, you could say that Babe Ruth was a dismal failure. He hit 714 home runs, but in the process, he also struck out 1,350 times. He struck out almost two times for every home run that he hit. His life off the baseball field was less than exemplary. He was a drunkard. He drank way too much, and in fact, his drinking shortened his career. He could have played several years more. He was a womanizer at a time when people didn't like womanizers. He certainly could be considered a failure. And yet we consider him one of the Hall of Fame baseball players in baseball history. You ever felt like a failure? Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt defeated? I personally believe that every person at some point in his or her life feels like a failure in something. Feels defeated. I love the Peanuts comic strip. I love Charlie Brown. For some reason, I connect with Charlie Brown. I don't know why. It may be because we both have big heads. I don't know. Charlie Brown's nemesis was Lucy. Lucy was always cutting Charlie Brown down. That's probably why my wife Amanda named her dog Lucy. 
One day, Charlie Brown was complaining that his baseball team was always losing. They always lost. And Lucy responded to him and said, Well, you know, Charlie Brown, you learn more from your defeats than you do from your victories. To which Charlie Brown replied, Then I ought to be the smartest man in the world. In Joshua chapter 8, we find the children of Israel trying to recoup after a major defeat. By the time we get to Joshua 8, they have crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and they invaded Jericho in a resounding victory. It was an unorthodox victory. God told Joshua, he said, Now you take the children of Israel and you march around Jericho one time For six days, once every day for six days, and on the seventh day you march around it six times, and then on the seventh time that you march around it on that seventh day, have the trumpeters blow their horns and have the people shout. And when they did this, the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the children of Israel were able to go in and conquer the city of Jericho. It was an enormous victory for the Israelites. It was so overwhelming that Joshua felt like that the next battle, the city of Ai, which was a fraction of the size of Jericho, wouldn't wouldn't be hard at all to defeat. And so he determined that that they would take even less than 10% of their total army to defeat Ai. There's no point in us sending everybody over there. And so he sends 3,000 soldiers to Ai But these soldiers were turned back by the men of Ai. The Israelites fled the city of Ai, and the men of Ai pursued them. They killed 36 of them, and the rest of them fled out into the wilderness. It was such an overwhelming defeat that Joshua got on his face on the ground crying out to God. And one of the things that he said was, God, we would have been better off staying on the other side of the Jordan. We have experienced humiliating defeat here at the hand of the men of Ai, and what are all the rest of the cities going to think if we couldn't defeat Ai? It's one of the few times, if not the only time, that God said to somebody to stop praying. Joshua was praying, and God said, stop praying, get on your feet. The Israelites have committed a sin. Actually, they committed two sins. One was underestimating the power and the determination of the the men of Ai. The second was, there was a man in the Israelite camp named Achan who had disobeyed a strict order of God. The order went like this. When you go into Jericho and defeat the people of Jericho, you are to kill everything that breathes. They did that, except for the the prostitute Rahab, whom God said to save. But he said, anything that you find there, any bounty, gold, silver, clothing, any bounty, that you are not to keep, it belongs to the Lord. But Achan decided to keep a piece of gold, 30 shekels of silver. By the way, anytime you see in the Bible anything that says 30 shekels of silver, it's best just to leave it alone. 
But Achan stole a, a gold bar, 30 shekels of silver, and, and, a, and a very fine Babylonian coat, and he hid it in his tent. And, in, and that was in disobedience to what God said, and it made God angry. And so because of his disobedience, the Israelites lost the first battle into Ai. They were humiliated. And now you get to chapter 8. And they're trying to recoup. And God says to Joshua, look, I want you to go back in there, back against the people of Ai. This time when you go in, you need to take everybody. And I want you to put the biggest part of the army behind the city. And Joshua says, I will go with 3,000 people in the front of the city and attack the city. And the men of Ai will think we're doing the same thing that we did the first time. And they will come out after us, and we will flee, and they will pursue us, leaving the whole city defenseless. And when the men of Ai leave the city, those of you in the back who numbered about 30,000, he said, then you will go into the city and you will destroy it, everything that's in it. Only this time, all the bounty, all the plunder you can keep for yourselves. And the battle worked. The battle plan worked. And the Israelites won a victory in Ai. The great lesson in this whole story has to do with what you and I do with defeat. We could do what the first sentiment of Joshua was, which is to retreat back over across the Jordan River and just be satisfied with, with life on the eastern side of the Jordan River. But that wasn't where God wanted them. Invariably, there are people here who are in a middle, in the middle of a crisis of defeat. And you're thinking about giving up. You're thinking about retreating to some familiar place. And God is trying to say to you, never go back. Don't go back. Go where I have called you to go. But learn the lessons of defeat. There are three sets of lessons that I believe we learn from this experience. The first group of lessons I call a message of warning. This applies especially if our defeat is due to some mistake or sin or offense that we've committed. In this case, the Israelites lost the, the first battle of Ai because they had underestimated the enemy and they had, Achan had stolen plunder that belonged to God. So there was a message of warning. The first warning is this, that God does not tolerate our sin. Achan thought, hey, I know that God is a God of justice and righteousness, and he probably thought, I know that God is a God who hates sin, doesn't tolerate sin. But he says, this one won't hurt. Many of us here today, it's easy for us to say, we know that God doesn't like sin. We know that there are certain things that God absolutely will not tolerate, but there are some little things in my life that, just to be honest with you, I really don't want to change. And I think I can get away with these small things. But the problem is there is no small sin in the eyes of God. All sin is large in God's eyes. When the Israelites found out that it was Achan who had stolen the gold and the silver and the Babylonian coat, they brought him and his family together, 
and they stoned them. They killed the entire family. It was a, a, a strong disciplinary action on the part of Israel against Achan and his family. To us, the punishment seems extreme. The punishment, it seems, doesn't fit the crime. And yet, with God, the punishment probably was not even enough to fit the crime because of all the lives that Achan's sin caused. So do not repeat past mistakes. It's a message of warning, lessons of defeat. Then there's a message of instruction. When you and I have experienced defeat... We, there are always lessons that God uses to instruct us. One of the first lessons I think we learn from, from this experience of their defeat is that God requires the first fruits from his, from his people. Now think about this. The Israelites go into the land of Canaan. They will have a lot of battles. They will have to fight to invade a lot of cities. The first one is Jericho, and it is the only one where God says, all of the plunder belongs to me. You are to bring, bring all of the plunder and you're to give it to me. You are not to keep any of it. Now the interesting thing about that is that after Jericho, God lets them keep all the plunder from every city. When they go to Ai, God says, you're going to do to Ai and its king exactly as you did to Jericho and its king, except you will be able to keep all the plunder that you find there. Why did God do it differently there? Well, part of it, as we'll see later, was because of his mercy. But the other part was God requires the first fruits from us. He still does that. We may take it lightly. We may think, well, it's not that important to God that I, that I share, that I give the first uh, percentage, the first 10% or more of, of, of what I have and what I make to God, we may think that's, he doesn't really care about that. And let me just tell you, he does care about it. Not because he needs our money. He doesn't need a dime we have. He can do everything that he wants to do without any of our money. But he instructs us to give the first fruits of all that we make and all that we have for two reasons. First, it shows that he's number one in our lives. And I'll tell you, and you know this already, if, if God is not number one in my finances, it doesn't matter how much I say he's number one in every other aspect of my life because it's simply not going to be true. Your checkbook and your credit card uh, statement say more about your relationship with God than anything else you do. The first fruits belong to God. He requires the first fruits. But then second. Do not be afraid. Verse 1, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Over and over and over, God is saying to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. Go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You may at times feel defeated, and you're afraid to take a risk to step out in faith. You may feel, hey, I just want to stay where it's comfortable. I would just want to stay uh, uh, in a place of familiarity. And, and God is calling you to step out in faith. And he's saying to you what he said to Joshua, don't be afraid. There's another lesson of instruction that we cannot overlook. And it's simply this. Listen intently to God. 
if for no other reason, because God may not do everything the same way every time. Now, somebody's going to say to me, that it's gonna, they're going to say, wait a minute. The Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It does, and he is. But the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore does not bind him to have to do everything the same way every time. And because God doesn't always do the same thing the same way, it is, it is very important that we be attentive to what God is saying so that we don't under, under, misunderstand what he's saying. In Jericho, he told the Israelites, when you go in there, you're to kill everything that breathes, and all the plunder is mine. Be careful that you don't take any of the plunder. When he, goes, when he gives them orders to go to Ai, he says, I want you to go into Ai, and this time you'll invade Ai. You'll do the same thing to Ai that you did to Jericho, except for you'll be able to keep the plunder. He doesn't do it the same way in Ai. Not only that, in, to, to attack Jericho, they marched around the city for seven days. There's no marching around the city of Ai. Instead, there's, a, there's an ambush attack plan. Listen carefully to God because God doesn't always do things the same way. Verse 8 says, when you have taken the city, set it on fire, do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. So there are messages of warning in these lessons of defeat. There are messages of instruction in these lessons of defeat. And then there are messages of hope. The first message of hope is this, that defeat does not have to be the end. Someone said this, never confuse defeat with final defeat. Just because you have failed at one thing does not mean that you'll fail at it the next time. Just because you uh, fail at one thing doesn't mean that you'll fail at the next thing. Why do we not call Babe Ruth the strikeout king? Why is it that until his record was broken by Henry Aaron, we called him the home run king, but not the strikeout king? God can take your failure, and he can turn it into a defeat. In fact, he took the failure of, Ai, of the first battle of Ai... And he took that and he says, now I want you to do kind of the same thing when, when, you, when you go back the second time. The first time they sent 3,000 men on a frontal attack. This time God says you'll take 3,000 men on a frontal attack and you'll let the men of Ai attack you. You'll run just like you did before. But this time you'll have 30,000 men behind Ai and they will come in and take the city after the first men of Ai have left the city. Defeat does not have to be the end. In fact, God can use your failures and your defeats to give you future victory. We also learn that God is merciful. Achan and his family, they perished. But the majority of the people of Israel, God showed mercy on them, and God gave them victory. He did not hold the first defeat at Ai. He did not hold their first mistakes against them forever. God never holds a grudge. 
God never pouts. Some of us, whenever somebody hurts us, we hold a grudge forever. Some of us are eternal pouters. Some of the most verbal, talkative people become the most silent people when they get angry. God never pouts. God doesn't hold a grudge. God never gives up on you. Your friends may sometimes give up on you. We may sometimes give up on you, but God never gives up on you. God is a God of mercy. Your defeat does not have to be final defeat. Your failure does not have to be the end of the world. It can be the best learning experience that you'll ever face. Coming into the March basket, NCAA basketball tournaments this past March, the University of Connecticut women's basketball team had won 111 games in a row. It was a record, it still is a record, for college or professional sports for consecutive winning games. They'd won 111. They had won several seasons of NCAA college basketball champions. They thought that they were impenetrable, unbeatable. And then they met Mississippi State. Mississippi State. They can beat Mississippi State. The year before, in 2016, they beat Mississippi State 68-34. to There wasn't even a game. It was almost like they were the only team out there on the court. But the same team that they slaughtered in March of 2016 meets them in 2017, and by the time you get into the fourth quarter, Mississippi State is 16 points ahead of unbeatable, undefeatable, and undefeated UConn. But the UConn ladies team fought back, and they fought back to the point where they tied the game. And at the end of the fourth quarter, when time ran out, the game was tied, had to go into overtime. And when they went into overtime, it was tit for tat. They were, Mississippi State would get a basket, and then UConn would. Then Mississippi State, then UConn, battling back and forth. They came down to the final second of the game, and a player from Mississippi State shot a basket and got a basket and the time went out, and Mississippi State won that game 66-64. to The 111-game winning streak of the great UConn basketball team had come to an end. And the ladies on that team were devastated. They were absolutely devastated. They, they were speechless going into their locker room. And their coach pulled them together over the offseason. And he had meeting after meeting after meeting. And they went over not all the wins that they had gotten in the seasons prior to that, but they went over every mistake that they had made in that game against Mississippi State. Why? Because he wanted them to learn lessons from their defeat. The late Zig Ziglar said this. He says, if you learn from defeat, you haven't really lost.
You ever felt like a failure? Have you ever felt defeated? Take it from Joshua and the experience of AI. Never let defeat leave you forever defeated. Learn the lessons of defeat and bounce back up like a, like a Batman punching bag. Don't let your enemies keep you down. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the fact that you care for us the way you do is amazing. The fact that you teach us lessons even, even from our, our worst failures shows how merciful and gracious you are. Lord, in this congregation, there are some who haven't felt defeat in a long time. There are others who are in the middle of defeat. There are still others who've just come out from under defeat. But Lord, Joshua chapter 8 tells us that defeat doesn't have to be the end. There's still victory. Lord, I pray for anyone who might be here who has never invited you into their heart to be their Savior and Lord. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, when we get up to sing, I just want to ask you to come here to the front. We won't embarrass you. That's not what we're about. But I want to help you pray to invite Jesus into your life. If you're not a member of a church and you feel God leading you to join this church, I want to invite you to come. We'd love to have you here. But if you feel like a failure and you're thinking about giving up, look up and hear God saying, don't give up. Keep on keeping on. In Jesus' name, amen.